So we're up to uh, Exodus chapter 19, the first uh, eight verses. This is just an incredible, incredible passage. This is one of those passages which, which um, I, I think in a way, is, is, it's like a... You know, when I was studying, some textbooks are great because at the end of every chapter they've got about a paragraph saying, in this chapter you should have learnt. And then they give a summary. This is like a summary. This is like a summary of the gospel. This is a, a summary of God's plans for people. And it's coming at a very important point because it's on the, on the edge of the first phase of the Exodus uh, coming into the second phase of Exodus. So we're told in the first couple of verses that, that it's uh, about two months into the Exodus, uh, two lunar months, that is. They've been following God. They've been going where he's, where he's led them. God has done amazing things. Um, and they've come now to Sinai where God promised Moses in, in Exodus chapter 3, 21. God said to Moses, Moses, you will know that I sent you because one day you will come and worship me on this mountain. And, and what are they about to do? They are about to come and worship God on this mountain. So it's, it's a big thing. Uh, we're told in verse 2 that... Um, that they're at Sinai in the wilderness, um, according to the wilderness of Sinai, according to the New Living Translation. Um, not desert so much. Wilderness, we're talking cattle country. So imagine the far north. That's kind of the situation where you find yourself. Moses, um, God's mediator, climbs up the mountain. I'll tell you what, he got fit. Just in this chapter, he climbed up and down that mountain three times. And then he came down with the law. He went up again in chapter 20. He came down, uh, broke the tablets, had to go up again. Boy, Jacob's ladder has nothing on Moses' journeys. And then we come to verses 4 to 6, which as I say is like a, a summary statement for, for God's plan for humanity. Um, that God says, look what I've done. Live, la- live your lives now in light of that. And he makes some incredible promises. Um, this is on the cusp. So they've arrived at the wilderness of Sinai. They stay there for, I think it's between one or two years. So not a long time, given that they're going to spend 40 years wandering in the desert. But in the Bible, these one or two years at Sinai cover from Exodus chapter 19 all the way up to, I think it's Numbers chapter 10. Huge block of of the Pentateuch, of the first five books, situated here at Sinai. Because this is where the important stuff is happening. So let's have a look. We're going to focus in on verses 4, 5, and 6. God says to Moses, Moses, I've got a message for you. Give these instructions to the family of Jacob. Announce it to the descendants of Israel. In other words, tell all the people, Moses. Verse 4, you have seen what I did to the Egyptians. You know how I carried you on eagle's wings and brought you to myself. You have seen. God comes, says to Moses, Moses, things are about to get really interesting between my people and me. We're going to start a covenant happening here. We're not going to start it. I'm going to reinvigorate it. 
because the covenant I made to Abraham long ago. But you know what? As we, as we begin this thing, Moses, the first thing that you have to do, the first thing that you have to tell the people is, hey, you have experienced what God has done. You see, being God's special people, being the people of the covenant, being the people of God, begins with what God has done. All that the Israelites needed to do to be saved from Egypt, to be delivered from, from the hand of Pharaoh, was to, to say, yes, I will accept God saving me. Was to trust Him and paint the stuff on the door and then just go. Was to just follow God. That's all they had to do. God did it. God has welcomed them as His own people. God has led them as His own people. God has saved them time and time again as His own people. Not because of what they've done, but just because God has done it. And God says, you saw what happened to Egypt. Egypt stood there and said, we are stronger than God. We will thwart God. And, and Israel says, God, you saw what I did. And you know, you believed in me. They didn't, by the way, they drowned. You believed in me. What happened? I saved you. It was like I was on eagle's wing. Like, like you were on eagle's wings. I brought you to myself. And, and the Old Testament at times, particularly in, in light of the Exodus, Deuteronomy, it's got a fantastic passage where it speaks of God swooping down to carry off His people like, a, like an eagle. An eagle looking after the weak, but... But, but we've had some fantastic facts about eagles. But, but one thing we've got to remember is that eagles are birds of prey. Tender-hearted towards their own. But what does God say? He says, yeah, you saw what I did. I was like a fierce predator against Egypt. Why? Not because you're so brilliant, but because I wanted to carry you to safety. Because I wanted to rescue you. What was the point of the Exodus? Anyone got? So to start the history of Israel. Anyone else? To bring them into the promised land. That's a, that's a big part of it. Anyone else? To separate them. To teach them. Teach them to trust him. I, I think all of that is true, but, but I think the most important point of the Exodus is just end of verse 4 you know how I carried you on eagle's wings. What did I do? And brought you to myself. And brought you to myself. You know, it, it's so easy, and, and I know I've found myself doing it. We, we tend to focus our understanding of our salvation in terms of what I get out of it. Or else we go the other extreme and we, we say, well, uh, I've got to do enough to be saved. And the central point, though, is that God saves us from, from sin and sorrow and shame and death so that we can come to Him. 
ultimately it's it's about God. God saves us so that we can be with Him. Isn't that incredible? The whole point of the Exodus is not because these guys are so special, but because God says, well, I want to bring you to me. Oh, yeah, I'm going to take you to the land, but, but you can go into the land, you can have all the land in the world, and without me, you're still... What's the point? Yeah, you can be this most fantastic nation, you can be strong and powerful, but without me, what's the point? The point of it, says God, is I want to bring you to myself. Isn't that just, what did Jesus say as he stood and looked over Jerusalem? He looked at it and said, Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, how long I've longed to gather you under my wings. And the point there, I want to bring you to myself. What is the gospel message if not come know God because God wants to know you? God wants you to be part of his family. God wants to bring you to himself. I think that, that line at the end of verse 4 is probably, it sums up the reason God does what He does. The reason God saves is because He wants to know us. He wants us to be in, in fellowship with Him. He wants us to be His family, His own. He wants us to live. And he brings us to himself because without him we die. But he goes on, he says, Now, if you will obey me and keep my covenant, you will be my own special treasure from among all the peoples of the earth, for all the earth belongs to me. See what God says? He says, remember what I have done. Remember why I did it, because I want to bring you to me. And out of that, be motivated to obey me. Oh, didn't the pastor just say that all I had to do was to just follow God and he did everything? What? This four seems to say, I saved you. You did nothing. I saved you. Remember, I saved you. Verse five, God turns around and says, yes, and now I've saved you, so obey me. Verse four is all about grace. What is this? This obey me in verse 5. Well, it's not a contradiction to the grace of God in verse 4. It, it rests on the grace of God in verse 4. Everything rests on what God has done. Verse 5, God doesn't say, Obey me so that you will be saved. By the time God says, Obey me, they're already saved. They're out of Egypt. The Egyptians are dead. They're lying under the Red Sea. They're already saved. I think the Bible is quite clear we can't earn our salvation. But, but it's also quite clear that once we are saved, 
we're called to live out our new lives. We have been made something special. We have been granted an incredible privilege of being saved and we are to live something, we are to live our lives out of that truth. Turn with me in your Bibles uh, quickly, if you would, to um, 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 11. Paul writes over here, he says, So we keep on praying for you, asking our God to enable you to live a life worthy of His call. May He give you the power to accomplish all the good things your faith prompts you to do, and then the name of our Lord Jesus will be honored because of the way you live you will be honored along with him. See what he says there? He says, live out your new life. It's exactly what verse 5 says. It says, you have been saved and therefore obey God. We obey God not because we have to, because God is going to wipe us out, because we will no longer be saved unless we obey him. No, we obey God because he has saved us. In fact, Paul says exactly that. At the end of of verse 12, he says, this is all made possible because of the grace of our God and our Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 5, God says, obey me. Why? Because I've been gracious to you. Verse 4, live a life so that people will see that you are different, that you are my people. Why? Because of verse 4, because I have saved you. Because I have brought you to myself. God says, obey my covenant. The covenant that the the Israelites haven't even heard yet properly, but but maybe harking back to the covenant where where God said to Abraham, Abraham, I'm going to bless you. I'm going to make you a great nation and all the nations of the earth will be blessed because of you. And God's saying now to the Israelites, obey me. And it's not just about doing the law. It's about responding to God and saying, you've saved me. I want to know your ways. I want to follow you. I want to, I want to emulate you. I want something of your character to come to me. I, I think the laws of God, one of the things that they show us most clearly is something of the character of God. Now why does God bother to give laws about looking after the planet and about muzzling your ox and about uh, what to do with cooking a goat in its mother's milk? Well, what's the point of all these laws? I think one of the main points is to say God is the God who cares. Something of the character of God. That he won't put up with injustice. That he insists on being the only God. We're going to look at that a little bit closer when we come um, to Exodus chapter 20. God says, because of what I've done, because of what I've done by bringing you to myself, Why don't you obey me? Why don't you live as people who recognize how indebted you are to me? 
There's an interesting word uh, in verse 5 there. Looking at 2 Thessalonians, thinking, why on earth is that word not here? It's the second word in verse 5. Now, if you will obey me and keep my covenant, you will be my own special treasure from among all the peoples of the earth. What a sad word. God says, verse 4, I have done it all to bring you to myself. And I want you to be my special treasure. I want you to be my, my own people. But if we're going to have this relationship, then it's got to respond. God says, I've got some great promises to give you. There's three promises he gives right here. He says, I want to I bless your socks off and I want to bless the whole world through you. Are you going to respond? If you will obey me, will you obey me? Is God God laying it on the line saying, will you obey me? Well, he says, if you do, wow, you're going to be my treasured possession." My special treasure. That, that, it's a word there. It's a treasure belonged privately just to the king. God says you're going to be my treasure just because I want you to be my treasure. I, I really desire for you to be my treasure. Not because you're special or greater than any of the other nations. I've already proven that. You're not greater than Egypt. I just wanted to keep my promise to Abraham. I wanted to bring you to myself. By the way, the whole earth belongs to me. I can do what I want with any of it. I want you to be my special treasure. It says in the next line, I want you to be a kingdom of priests. It's the only time in the Old Testament that that phrase is used, kingdom of priests. God says, I want you to be a kingdom of priests. By the way, that implies you've got a king, um, God. God says, I want you to be in my nation. And I want you to be a kingdom of priests. By the way, this is before Israel had a proper priestly caste. They knew all about priests because that culture they lived in was inundated in priests. There's two things about the priests. A kingdom of priests. Priests have direct access to God. God says, I want you to have direct access to me. The other thing about priests is that they act on behalf of others. They stand as mediators between God and the people. What is God saying? He says, I want you to be a kingdom of priests. Direct access to me. Wow, but, but there's a job there for you as my people to stand in between me and the world. You remember the, the covenant that God made to Abraham? I will bless all the nations through you. He says, now, you, Israel, you are to be my priests to the world. A priestly nation. You are to be a holy nation. 
he goes on and says, if it's not identical with the kingdom of priests, it's at least, it supports it so well because, because as God's chosen people, God's nation is meant to be separate, not, not isolated, but set apart so that people will look at them and say, there is something different about you. Can I bore you? I, I hate boring you with, with Hebrew because I don't even understand it all myself. But I found this fascinating when I read it in a commentary. Um, the, the word used here for Israel when it says, I will make you a holy nation, he says, I will make you a holy goy. Isn't that a fantastic word? I'll make you a holy goy. Probably pronouncing that very wrong. Um, which is strange because it's the word used in Hebrew for the non-Israelite nations. For the Gentiles, for the pagans. God says, I'm going to make you a holy one of all the nations. You're just like them, but you're going to be holy. Just like them, but you're going to be holy. people are going to look at you and say, what sort of people are they? The picture on your bulletin is of a light bulb in somebody's hand because God said to Israel that they were to be a light to the Gentiles. God didn't choose Israel because he considered all the other nations not good enough. God chose Israel because he loves all the other nations. And Israel was the means he chose to to save them. It's one of the reasons I get so upset when people are so for the modern state of Israel. Um, And aren't willing to hear about the atrocities they're committing against other people. I think there's faults on both sides, myself. And and modern Israel is not necessarily the same as biblical Israel. but, But the point of God's people, if they are God's people, is to act as a light to the nation. God's people are meant to be the source of hope and peace. God inaugurates his people here in chapter 19 to be the means of reconciling all the world to himself and through himself to each other. And you know what the horrible story of the Bible as it goes is is how they fail to do this again and again and again. And instead of the nations looking at them and saying, tell us more about your God, we find the nations ridiculing them and mocking them and taunting them. And yet God's plans stay the same. And and even in the exile, Isaiah 49, God says to them, I will make you alike to the nations. The remnant that I bring back, I will make, it it is too small a thing for me to rescue you. I'm going to make you a light to the nations and all the nations will be saved. 
And when we're speaking about God's ideal in verses 5 and 6, we're speaking about God's people saving the world, or God saving the world through His people. And isn't that exactly what we see in Jesus? We, we see the true seed of Abraham, the true son of God. The ultimate remnant. We see God's most treasured possession. We see him inaugurating a kingdom of priests. We see God's holy nation. And in Jesus, the call of God to all the nations is most clearly sounded. Luke 2, 32. Jesus is the light to the Gentiles. And why does Jesus save us? Why does he do all this? Well, the Bible tells us he does it because he was perfectly obedient to God. Never sinning. That if, that doubtful if of verse 5 comes to Jesus and it's not an if, it's, it's a of course. Of course you obey. And in Jesus, we too, as, as the new Israel, as God's church, are to be a light to the Gentiles. Because we have Christ in us. The light spills out. If, it, if it's not spilling out, then there's trouble. We are to show ourselves different from the world. We are to be a, a holy nation. People should look at us and say, I want what you've got. You're just like us, but you're so different. God's reason for saving you is not to get you into heaven. God's reason for saving you is to bring you to himself. but it's also to save others through you. That's why God makes a, a, a priesthood of people, a holy nation, to save others. Our lives are to show the grace of God, the verse 4 of God at work, what God has done at work. Um, and really our lives should be showing that the gospel does work. That we're not the people we once were. Verse 7 to 8, Moses climbs down the mountain, he goes to all the people, he says, hey, here's what God says. And the people say, Absolutely. He says to them, you've got a choice to make. What are you going to respond to that if? What are you going to respond to the if you follow God? What are you going to respond to the if you believe that God has done all these things? How are you going to respond to what God has done? Are you going to want His promises? Are you going to seek after God with all your heart and all your soul and all your mind and all your strength? Moses says to them, what is your choice? Will you answer the if with a yes or a no?
And straight away they say, yes! We will serve the Lord. Um, Quite ironic, because it takes about two chapters before they make a golden calf. Um, They remind me a lot of of the disciples. Um, Peter, who says to Jesus, we'll never deny you, Jesus. And just a few hours later, he's denying you. Um, good to know I don't think they understood their own weaknesses yet but it's good to know that God can use even our failures because that if that if is a question the if of verse 5 will you follow me will you love me with all you got Will will you want to be mine That if is a question that we get asked every moment of every day. Every time a temptation comes our way. If you follow me, I'm going to do so much good you don't know what's going to happen.